welcome everyone to the Canadian Perspective, another episode, okay? And we do have some things on the news today, those things being the city of Mariupol, Ukraine has refused, they have rejected Russia's demand that the city of Mariupol surrender in exchange for safe passage for civilians. And so Ukraine has uh, decided they're not going to do that. We're going to look at uh, British Columbia. They have become, I believe, the first province to tie their minimum wage to inflation, which is fantastic, honestly. And, you know, interestingly enough, the paper or sorry, the article that I was reading was from Global News. And it's so interesting how during that whole article, they're like, yeah, it's minimum wage is increasing. We have, you know, and I'll give you a bunch of statistics when I talk about the story. but they don't mention once in the whole thing what party is running the province. Not once do they mention the NDP. Hmm, that's very interesting. But uh, anyways, uh, we also were having a massive immigration delay uh, getting into Canada. People are trying to get into Canada, have a better life. They're having uh, huge problems doing that. The backlog is insane. And also... Uh, a little side note, the U.S. on the side declared that Myanmar army committed genocide against the Rohingya. Also, I got recent news that so basically the liberals, and the NDP have come to some agreement to launch a dental care program in exchange for NDP support of the liberals until 2025, which is fantastic i mean that's that's great almost the same strategy that was used by uh, tommy Douglas back in i believe the 60s or 70s where we got universal health care where they said hey if you don't pass these bills we're going to do the vote of no confidence with the, the conservatives and we're going to force another election um this is in a way sort of like that it's not as you know, it's not like the they're going to call an election tomorrow or something, but they're just giving the liberals a guarantee that that shit's not going to happen until 2025. So that's absolutely fantastic news. You know what? We're going to start off going into this story. So basically, the liberals agreed to launch a new dental care program for middle and low income Canadians and advance a number of other NDP priorities in exchange for new Democrats propping up the federal government until 2025. So that, that's basically they're getting NDP support. So the details of the plan, which is awesome. I mean, this is a roadmap to eventually get us universal. Um, but this specific dental program is not going to be universal once it's fully implemented. It is means tested, which is annoying. Very annoying. Ground, according to a release from the prime minister's office, the grounds of the agreement, the proposed dental program would start with those under 12 years old in 2022, then expand to under 18-year-olds, seniors, and persons living with a disability in 2023, and then full imp implementation will be rolled out in 2025. And that full implementation, you know, full implementation would mean uh, dental program will be restricted to families with an income of less than $90,000 annually, and also... Okay, so the families with less than 90 grand annually, and if you also are below $70,000 annually, then you don't even pay the copay to make a claim. There shouldn't even be a fucking copay. What the fuck? A copay is a flat rate fee. Someone makes a claim. So like, sort of like how in the United Kingdom, if you go to the pharmacy, you just pay $10 no matter what the medication is, and then they give you the medication or, or something like that. 
that's uh i guess but that's still stupid like fuck is with this copay bullshit so that's a massive plank of the ndp's um platform although you know i'm pretty sure the ndp said they wanted their shit to be universal so that's kind of annoying um but at least we get something uh instead of absolutely nothing the nothing that we've received for a long time liberals always well at least when it came to pharmacare right uh so this deal would also see a canada pharmacare plan pharmacare act passed by the end of 2023 to task the national drug agency to develop a national formulary of essential medicines and a bulk purchasing plan by the end of the agreement okay so they've agreed to have a bill made eventually by 2023 i'm pretty sure there already was a motion that the NEP put forward earlier, like a year or two ago, that could have already done this. Like, why don't you have a fucking bill already, that dipshit? You guys could already put, you guys already put together a dental program. What the fuck is the Pharmacare one? And also on housing, another key issue, the, the government has agreed to extend the Rapid Housing Initiative. So that's a program that builds uh, uh, affordable housing for people in populations who are vulnerable. So that's being extended for an additional year. And also changes the uh the definition of affordable housing that's gonna be defined as housing costing 80 percent or less of an area's average market rent and that's a change from the canada mortgage and housing corporation who typically considers housing affordable if it costs no more than 30 percent of a person's income so instead if you're chaining it to the uh area the average market rent of that area instead of the person's income yeah what the fuck is this 30 percent of a person's income the fuck what to make it chain it to the area because everybody's income is different that's like kind of ridiculous actually <laughs> like whose income that's such a wide scale why were we even using that before now something else that they did with the NEP before was they had them introduce an early learning and child care act the end of 2022 and uh so that's great that's fantastic and so you won't see like uh another ridiculous election until 2025 that's almost guaranteed by this unless if you know they don't follow through which i'm pretty sure any p if they have any balls then they'll immediately just like go back and say hey fuck you you lied to us uh and then of course you can sort of shit their pants and they're crying and screaming and they say oh they justin trudeau made a power grab canadian this is from Gannisburg, and she says canadians woke up this morning to the fact that they've been hoodwinked and they've been deceived by the prime minister he's desperately claiming the power his number one goal, as we've seen over the course of the last six years, is always to do what's best for him, not to do what's best for Canadians. Passing, ha giving people who have less than $90,000 a household free dental care is not helping Canadians? Are you, I can't, I can't say that word. Are you an idiot? What an absolutely moronic statement. How are these people in office? Like, what the fuck? Like, that's the type of shit they just put on, like, Facebook and stuff like that, that Facebook moms share around and shit. Oh, my God, he made another power grab. Who, if you read the shit, if you read even the headline on CBC, people would be like, oh, shit, a dental care program? That'd be sick. My teeth aren't going to fall out anymore. And, and, yeah, the conservatives like, no, no, that's bad. Oh, wow. Okay. And it gets even dumber. If you thought that was dumb, it gets even dumber. We go to uh eve francois blanchet the leader of the bloc quebecois and he said that <laughs> last tuesday he said the federal government does not have the jurisdiction to introduce national dental and pharma care plans are you a fucking idiot 
Excuse me? Bitch, you have universal health care. Did you deny that? Did you does does Quebec do you have to pay money for health care in Quebec? Let's find that out right now, okay? Let's let's find that out. Yes, yes, it is free. Yeah, they get money from the federal government to run it. So what the fuck? They're like, nah, that's that's whack. Okay, so that's great. Um so that's good news. Uh it shows you that the parties that aren't the NDP and the liberals, maybe they're doing some smarmy play. I don't know what that, that the Canada Pharmacare Act bullshit. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. It's a little slippery. They should have just had an act already to go. So that's interesting. But, uh, but it shows you that <laughs> we got a bunch of morons and the conservatives and the, and the, the Bloc Québécois. So anyways, hopefully that goes well. Anyways. Next one, we're going to go to Ukraine, everyone's favorite. As you know, Ukraine rejects Russia's demand to surrender Mariupol. So, so far, what's been going on in Mariupol? Uh, they are currently under siege. They are surrounded by Russian forces all around the city. 2,300 people have died so far, uh, with some of them buried in mass graves. Oof. That's a big oof on that one. Sorry, boys. Uh, but of course, you know, this could be, that number could be far higher, right? It's war and, and the fog of war that's currently ongoing. I'm sure all the numbers are a bit, uh, a bit smeared, um, depending on who's reporting them, right? So that's rough. But uh, the conditions in the city are brutal. The bombardment cut off electricity, water, food, communication, right? People are fighting for their lives while missiles are raining down on them. Uh, and missiles did rain down. An airstrike, in fact, hit an art school, which sheltered about 400 civilians. This was <laughs> almost ahead, immediately ahead of the pro proposal by the Russians that, they, uh, that the Ukrainians should surrender. And uh, what was it? At least eight dead after a shopping center was shelled in Kiev. That's not related to Mariupol. But anyways, a theater was hit as well. 1,300 people were believed to be sheltering in the theater, and 400 people were estimated to have been in the art school. So that's a lot of people. They didn't, of course, not all of them are dead, but, you know, but they hit those areas. Now, Mariupol, if you want to know where the fuck that city is, for those who are unfamiliar, that's Mariupol on the map, okay? It's in the bottom right corner of Ukraine, right, uh, close to the border of Russia, and it's uh, a port city, so it's right off the coast of the Black Sea. Uh, I thought they would have already taken that city by now. If you look at the invasion map, uh, what the fuck? Yo, they're still hanging on? Holy shit! You see that? Mariupol. Yo, that city right there, it's somehow not been taken. I don't get that. I mean, I guess they're somehow getting supplies still into the city. Well, as I said, the food and water have all been shut off, but damn, they're still holding out? That's crazy. That's And they didn't accept the offer to surrender? That's even more nuts. Damn, okay. All right, so they're still hanging on somehow. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but <laughs> interesting. And of course, this would, uh, if they took that city, it would help establish a land bridge to Crimea. If the Russians take the city, that's why they want it. Of course, it's also a big port city, so it's going to be helpful with movement throughout the Black Sea, with the ships to dock, right? You know, the basic shit like that. But uh, yeah, not going well. So yeah, the, the deal was safe passage out of Mariupol. One quarter leading to East Russia and another going west to other parts of Ukraine in return for the city's surrender before daybreak Monday. 
and Ukraine flatly rejected the offer well before the deadline. So, I don't know if that was a good idea, bro. I'm going to be real, okay? If you go back to that map, if you go back to the map here, dog, where the fuck you think you're going to go? Like, do you really think that Ukrainian forces are going to break through Russian lines and somehow, you know, like, liberate the city? Do you really think, what, there's going to be, like, a like a Dunkirk situation where you can get all these ships to come and, like, uh evacuate all the people from the city like no it's i mean even then like they ignored they didn't want to be evacuated or i mean they denied the russians whatever if you evacuate the city you're surrendering it so if that was the case if that's what they wanted then they would have just accept the russians offer so i guess they really do believe the the ukrainian military will break through these lines somehow and liberate the city or, you know, uh, release them from that siege. Listen, dog. I mean, it's great. Morale's great. And that's wonderful for fighting spirit. And that's uh, very, uh, it's, you know, it's great. <laughs> but, dude, you're all going to fucking die. <laughs> like, let's be real here. You're not going to get liberated. That's unlikely. So, anyways, that's, uh, that's basically the main news that's been coming out of U uh, Ukraine. Also, the map's not looking too hot right now. Like, like, just that map has got filled in. This is the Wikipedia map, okay? So, as you know, everything they have on there is accurate. It's, uh, she ain't looking too hot. Uh, they've fully taken the whole, you know, that whole top piece of Ukraine has fully been taken. The left corridor from Belarus into Kiev is, uh, that's all Russian troops there. They are encircling the city from the western side. Sorry. They are encircling the city of Kiev from the eastern side as well as the western side. They just do not have troops below the city, south. That's what they're missing, because if they take that area, then Kiev will be fully encapsulated in a giant Russian Iron Maiden um, of troops and tanks. So uh, that's not good for the city of Kiev, but I do believe if there was any city that had extremely high morale, it would be Kiev. And if Mariupol is still holding out, even though they're in a sea of red, um, you never know. They could hang on for a long time. So, anyways, uh, glory to the Ukrainians and their defense of their homeland. We wish them all the best. And, uh, however, I'm just going to say maybe you should have taken that offer to surrender Mariupol. I don't see how the logistics could work out that you would be able to be liberated from the Russians, you know, that, that there would be a corridor from the Ukrainian military that breaks their lines to, to relieve the city. I don't, I don't see that as a possibility. So, you know. Anyways, moving on to immigration. Immigration. So, Canada. Back to Canada. 1.8 million immigration applications are waiting to be processed. Protested, yes. 1.8 million immigration applications are waiting to be processed. Uh, that's a lot. And this is all information data from the IRCC, the Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada. Uh, the country has a backlog of, like I said, 1.8 million. As of February 1st, that's only as of, of February 1st, the month back, including 519,000 permanent residence applications, including 158,770 refugee ap applications, 848,598 temporary residence applications and 448,000 Canadian citizenship applications. 
that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff, dude. Especially the temporary residence applications. I mean, I guess the Canada's just like, yeah, fuck it, whatever, whatever. You stay here, and then if you're too long, we'll just deport your ass. Uh, so, <laughs> work permit extension applications take 133 days, as per their website. That also expired on March 15th. <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh my God! We got a graph here. In fact, we got a lovely graph to to look at. Canada's backlog of immigration applications. We got permanent residence applications. Okay, there we go. This is comparison of October 27th, 2021 compared to this year. It is lower. All the, all the bars are lower except for temporary residence applications, which is higher. Why, why did CBC News put this together? I don't know. I think uh, reading the text was probably good enough. But anyways, <laughs> enjoy that. Enjoy that. Um, now, what else do we got? What else do we got on this? In the economic and fiscal update of 2021, the government of Canada proposed to provide new funding of $85 million in 2022 to 23. These funds will support additional staff. Oh, we're talking about the IRCC. They're going to get more funding. It's like, shit, they better get more funding. Look, these people are working over overtime to <laughs> let people in the country. Uh, and welcome people who can address Canada's labor shortages. Yeah, they want, they want people. They want people in there. Also, something that's not helping this situation is the, uh, the announcement that was made pretty recently that we're going to accept an unlimited number of Ukrainian citizens for temporary residence. Uh, that's definitely going to add to the backlog, like, significantly. So, uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. That's not good. Now, moving on. Brief note of sadness, brief tinge of sadness. Chinese plane with 132 people crashes in the Guangxi province. That's, uh, that's shitty. Um, it's unfortunate. The U.S. declared that the Myanmar army committed genocide against the Rohingya. Uh, this is something that's been going on for a long time. Uh, interesting. Has you know, the United States ever declared what happened in Indonesia genocide? They did not <laughs> say anything about the 1965-1966 mass killings, and they did not say jack shit about the East Timor uh, genocide that the Indonesian army um, enacted. When they invaded East Timor and occupied it, uh, in fact, the United States supported uh, the Indonesian invasion of East Timor in 1975. They approved it. Um, exchanges between uh, Henry Ford at the time, president uh, Suharto, General Suharto, which was the dictator of Indonesia at the time, and of course Henry Kissinger, the scumbag National Security Advisor and Secretary of State under President Richard Nixon. Uh, and also Secretary of State under Nixon's predecessor, Ford. So, yeah, he's uh, possibly one of the biggest scumbags when it comes to uh, foreign policy and, and what he did and what he enacted in South America. And, of course, part of that is Indonesia. Why am I talking about Indonesia when we're talking about uh, Myanmar or Myanmar or Burma or however you want to say it, okay? Uh, because... Myanmar is not a United States is, is not a United States ally and historically has not been at all. So it's totally easy for the United States to come out and say, uh, Anthony Blinken, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, for him to come out and say these things. Uh, but they're not going to do that and, and step up to the plate when they supported the shit and, and go back and say, hey, what we did was wrong. Giving you guys weapons 
um, before you guys invaded East Timor, you know, giving weapons to Indonesia. Yeah, they're not going to do that. Um, so just wanted to give you that backdrop. So Blinken, Antony Blinken, he said that there's parallels between Myanmar's military campaign to wipe out the Rohingya and the Holocaust. The slaughter of Rwandan Tutsis and, of course, other genocides. Not the ones that the United States supported, though. Those didn't exist. Uh, to make its genocide designation, U.S. investigators talked to more than 1,000 Rohingya refugees living in Bangladesh after being displaced by the violence in 2016 and 2017, which was when things really ticked up. The heat was turned up. I'm sure things have not been much better since the whole, like, protest-slash-revolution uh let's let's see what's going on there so it appears oh my god okay so um it went from uh anti-coup protest into full-on the myanmar insurgency people have picked up guns it's shit's getting fucking real an armed revolution by the people's defense force of the national unity government erupted throughout myanmar in response to the military government's crackdown on anti-coup protests this has been described as a civil war by the un human rights chief rather than an insurgency, according to the Assistant Association for Political Prisoners. 1,697 civilians have been killed by the junta as of 22nd March 2022. Uh, and then it's estimated that in 2021, an estimated... Well, of course, why is it double estimating? That 11,000 people have been killed in the violence following the 2021 coup. Oh, shit, look at this. What the fuck are these names? Oh, my God, it's everybody and their grandmother has a, has a militia, apparently. Burmese Armed Forces, People's Defense Force, Arakan Army, Chin National Army. Jesus, okay. So, basically, everybody's picked up a gun. If it's not green, I'll show you guys the map. Yeah, oh, you're already looking at it. If it's not green, okay, it's not government. And holy, they've taken a lot. They've taken a lot of land, but it doesn't appear like they have the cities, the circles. They have not, they've surrounded the cities, but they've not taken them a lot of them they haven't taken fully that's interesting okay so that's uh that's a development that i did not know happened uh, a full-out civil war occurring in myanmar <laughs> okay that's something i don't know i wasn't expecting to find out so back to the genocide though the u.s said they were contributing nearly one million dollars in additional funding to the genocide convention for myanmar established by the u.n human rights council 2018 right and uh, more than 700,000 Rohingya Muslims have fled from the Buddhist-majority Myanmar to refugee camps in Bangladesh since October 2016, when the Myanmar military launched a clearance operation in response to attacks by a rebel group. So, that's what's going on in the world today. That's all I have prepared for you guys. I hope, how long was this episode? Okay, pretty fast. Good. Not much for me to edit. Alright, so I hope you guys download the podcast, right? If you don't download, then you don't exist. We don't know if you've watched it. You don't download it. Then just delete it right away. It's fine. I don't care. Um, and I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. And that was the Canadian Perspective signing off. Goodbye.